Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 3. While you're going there, just really briefly, I'll just say we still do have some product at the table. And again, it's there in case something that I say causes you to feel like you'd like to have some more of what we're sharing. We've got some things there for you. The first book here I'll mention is Until I Come, and this has kind of been the staple of our ministry, so that you know. There's a, a flash drive back there that's got about 20 hours on this book, so you can get it either through the audio or you can get the actual book. Um, this book is really all about any believer can do the works of Jesus. Now, this one's a little bit more of a studious type of book. You could kind of study it. A lot of people do. You know, they'll get it and study it, or they'll, they'll get it and, and then teach a class or something on it. Um, so it's not as easy reading as some of the others, but it's not that it's hard to read. It's just you got to take it a little slower. Has anybody ever read after E.W. Kenyon? Well, you kind of read a paragraph at a time. You know what I mean? Because he just says these little bullet points, but there's so much in them. If you thought about them, you can't really go to the next page. You don't speed read his stuff. There's too much in it. Well, this one's a little bit like that, okay? But it's a great book to help people get the mind of Christ. Do you know, Jesus did say through the Apostle Paul over in second, uh, the second chapter of Philippians, he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting how he said it? Let it. Because it won't automatically go there. There's nothing about this world that will help you to think like Christ. So it's going to be the opposite direction of the way that you're used to thinking. So you're going to have to open up your heart and let his thoughts become your thoughts. In a sense, you almost have to give it yourself permission to be who you really are because everything about your past and those that are around you and the way you've been raised is actually in opposition to who you are as a Christ person. Amen. The next book we have is the latest book that we put out, or the last one that we put out about a year and a half ago called Identity Crisis. This is an extremely easy book to read. Most people can read it in one setting. I think there's a little over 100 pages, sure, about 120 pages, uh, or read it in a couple little sessions, you know. And it's all about being made in the image and likeness of God. And and I just want to say, I don't think we really have even scratched the tip of the iceberg yet. One of my cowboy friends that I, that I met about uh, nine years ago, and we connected and began to have a radio show together called The Abiding Presence, and on my website, there's 266 um, archives that are free for anybody to have of my friend B.J. Rickard and I um, sharing, and the reason why he was with me is because he got God so fast and didn't have anything on his palate or his you know, um, plate, so to speak, uh, that he didn't have any religion to erase. He just went really fast. And besides, he happened to be a genius. You know, I didn't really know that at the time, but he had four earned PhDs, 17 authored books on horses and barns and nobles. He reads 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. As a nine-year-old boy, he read the Bible from cover to cover in four hours, and you can imagine how much of it he retained. So he's kind of a freak of nature in a sense, but not really. It it just makes us realize we're not using too much of the peanut that's inside our brain. You know what I'm saying? And so when someone's that smart, math usually is something that they really like. Why? Because things have to add up. See, he's real black and white. Well, everything about how he did life works really well with God, so he was able to go very fast. Like little things, like what you say is what you do. Like it used to be that's the way we lived. But people don't live that way anymore. They can actually shake hands on a deal and then do the exact opposite. See, those things are really meaningful. That's what I mean. How you do life is how you'll do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. In other words, the choices you make, which come from the perspective of how you think and see things, then either connects you to God or takes you away from God. Every decision you make is based on two. What do you mean? If I take a step towards God, I've not only taken a step towards Him, but I have what? I have denied myself of taking a step away from Him. So now I got two steps away from where I could have been. Four steps towards God means I'm eight steps away from the devil. But at the same time, three steps towards the devil means I'm six steps away from God. 
See, everything multiplies very fast. That's why it doesn't matter where you are, what you've done. The moment you turn toward Christ, the grace of God puts you right back at zero. And the moment you take a step toward him, you immediately separate yourself from what you were just five minutes ago. Well, it's going to take years. You don't, no, it doesn't take years. It takes, it takes seconds to experience him. Okay, anyhow, I'll be preaching all that. That kind of stuff is on this flash drive here. There's 84 hours on this. And uh, this, this is some of the material and all that, that BJ and I discussed and, and the experiences that he had that I'm still actually very hard after. And that is, uh, he just figured out he should actually be with them. Or they should be here. So he kind of challenged them. Either you be here right now or I'm coming up there. And if you think you can stop me, watch. And all of a sudden, I saw him in the middle of a prayer meeting just slump over in his seat. Well, I thought he fell asleep. He didn't fall asleep. He left his body and went to heaven. He's standing in front of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and, and, and God Almighty. The whole prayer meeting, he's there. So when everybody had left, we're in a church building about the size of this, and he's the only one in there. I walked over, and I slapped him in the side of the, the arm pretty hard, and I said, wake up. And he came back, and his eyes were big like this. And then, you know, I mean, he's, he's a rancher, so all the words that he uses aren't necessarily the words that some other people use. So he said a few words, you know, of, of just expression. And I said, BJ, you're in your church. You're in the church. And he goes, he said them again. Blankety blank, blankety blank. And I said, you were just with God. He said, yeah. Yeah, I was. He said, it's your fault. I said, how's it my fault? He said, it's not good. It's not good. And then the irony is, I quoted him, James 1.17. No, James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift come a father of lights, and there's no variable to see the shadow of turning. There's the irony. I had the verse and the reference. He actually had the experience. And that's the difference between somebody who has memorized Betty Crocker's cookbook and somebody else who actually cooks. It is. And here I am, the preacher. And there's your religion right there. That we have scriptures about him. BJ actually experienced him. Do you know, it's not going to be fun if we're standing in the line to get through the gate, you know, and Peter's over there just checking everybody in. And there's a few big angels there, and we look at him and say, what does he look like? And the angel says, who are you talking about? Jesus, what does he look like? And the angel's going to look at us and go, how the world did you get in this line? <laughs> Why? Because a real salvation is not having a thought about him. A real salvation is experiencing him on some kind of a level. There are all kinds of different levels, so I don't have to have a leave my body and go to heaven experience to hear the voice of God within my own spirit, to be led by him in some of the smallest of little things and realize it was the Lord, or to feel the presence of God like many of you did when I laid hands on you. That's all beginning to take the relationship out of the Bible and allowing God to be a person instead of just a character in a manuscript. But that's who we've come into relationship with. In other words, when we get there, there won't be a book on a pedestal. It won't even be a mind. You know what I mean? It's going to be a person that's going to meet you and wrap his arms around you. And we're actually going to go to the throne and watch that God's not some super old guy and needs 24 elders to help him get up off the throne. <laughs> but he's young and he's full of life. And we're going to see him. And we're going to fall down and we're going to worship him. Woo! And we're going to find ourselves to be so amazingly overwhelmed that for eternity we get to have this every day. Religions painted the picture about God that when you have to have more of him, it's almost a punishment. Can you imagine when you're 15 years old and your mom says, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. What's amazing, mom? We're going to have a two-week revival at the church. Well, what's a two-week revival? It means we get to go twice a day for two weeks and the kid walks away going, oh my God, I'm being punished. What did I do? <laughs> and why does he feel that way? Because religion makes you feel like you never can get to him. You're just always working the system to try to be something that you feel like you can never be. So pray more. Stop sitting. 
you sinner saved by grace. You worm and you wretch. And we buy into that stuff. That's right, I am a worm and a wretch. I did sin. Man, if you don't get one of the pillars of the church, which is he removed all your sin, you'll live in that law-dominated bondage that will actually cause the grace of God to become non-effective in your life. And you'll wear the sign that says Christian, but there'll be no experiences in your life of anything that, 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 that causes anyone to think Jesus is alive. That's why Paul got so angry at all that. Because the old system of the law was now fulfilled in Christ. We're not under that system anymore. It's not about you trying to prove anything. It's about the fact that he so graciously has removed all your sin, past, present, and future, so that there is, therefore, no condemnation ever again about you. Well, what if I sin? You are so, just acknowledge that you did and move on and thank God you are the righteousness of God in Christ and he right now is wrapping his arms around you and you don't have to wait three days and read 40 scriptures in order to feel like you qualify now to talk to him. Yeah. And the more you fall in love with him and the more real he becomes, he then begins to perfect that which concerns him and he changes your desires, he changes your motives, he causes you to not actually like the thing that you used to like so that you don't have to feel like you're in jail saying, I haven't had a drink in two weeks but I want one. That's not freedom. Freedom is, is when you don't even want one again. I love the story John Lake talks about years ago, Willie, who was a town drunk and everybody knew it. Well, people in town couldn't wait to get a hold of Willie and try to give him a piece of their mind. And every time they tried to help him, quote unquote, help him, they'd always say, Willie, promise me one thing. And they, he, they were asking him to do the very thing that he felt like it was the most difficult thing to do. And they'd say, Willie, will you promise me you'll never have another drink? And sure enough, it wouldn't take but moments before Willie would have another drink. But one dear old lady was a little smarter than the rest. And after she counseled with him for a while, she said, Willie, there's one thing that I want you to promise. He said, oh, don't make me promise that I, I, I can't have another drink. She says, no, on the contrary, I want you to promise me every time you want one, you'll go get one. He said, really? She said, absolutely. He said, I want one now. Go get one. He went down to the tavern, and when he put his hand on the door, he started to turn it and realized there was no desire left for a drink. It left him. See, she was smarter. She unlocked him from the very thing that he was trying so hard in himself not to do, which always produced the thing that he didn't want to do. The moment that he didn't have to be bound to a law and his heart was open to have what he thought he wanted, what he found out what he really wanted was Jesus and the drink left him. You can't make this stuff up, folks. I'm telling you, you couldn't figure that out in a million years, but God figured it out by the grace of Christ. He removed from you the very thing that you're trying so hard not to do. If you'll just take the brakes off of yourself. Oh my God, well, what would happen if I allowed myself to do it? If you fall in love with Jesus when you allow yourself to do it, that's when you won't want to. As long as you're trying, you've got your hand on the wheel. And even Carrie Underwood had, an, had a better idea. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Come on, when country singers are actually talking about Jesus, because usually they're talking about everything that you, you, know, that you lost. I lost this, and I lost that, and I lost this, and I lost that, you know? And then I gained this and I gained that back and you don't know whether you lost it or whether you got it. Amen. Where are you? Are you over in Colossians chapter 3? Good. In the Message Bible it says verse 1. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb the things right in front of you. You say, you know, when you look at that statement, it says, act like it. You say, well, I'm trying. Now he's going to show you how you actually can fulfill that. Stop being enamored and focused on the things of this life. Paul tried to help us over 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, the things of this earth, in other words, the things that you see, stop looking at the things you see. Look at the things which you don't see. For the things which you see are temporary, subject to change. But the things you don't see, they are eternal in the heavens. Well, how do you see something that you don't see? It seems like that's kind of difficult. It's not. God gave every one of us a production studio within your own mind. 
Amen? These are the scriptures. So there's a script for you to follow. And when you follow that script, it's kind of like action. Go. And what are you doing? You're portraying Jesus Christ. That's why you put off the old man and you put on the new man. How do you do that? With the attitude of your mind. You adjust your mind through your imagination to see how Jesus walked. Then you begin to walk that way too because on the inside, that's who you are. On the outside, you may not feel it. But you don't do everything anyhow just by feelings. There's many things we do like getting up in the morning where you don't feel like it, but you do it anyhow because there's things to be done, which is a part of responsibility. If we have the skill set to make ourselves do something that we don't want to do on this earth, then you have the skill set to walk as a real Christian in the spirit, even though it doesn't seem like it's real. That's called what? Faith. And what is faith? It's substance. And when your faith touches the substance, things in this life change and look like they do in that life. See, religion won't tell you that you have the skill set, but you do. Last night, we talked about what? We talk, it's not my time. I have authority, just like Jesus had authority. Where did that authority come from? It came from God's command to him that you'll have the power to lay your life down. You'll have the power to take it back up. This command I've received of my Father, no man can take my life. So what does that mean? That means I can walk in that or I can choose not to walk in that. Boy, I'd really like to walk in that. No, stop acting like you don't know. Well, I just don't, no, no, you have the skill set to walk in that. Has anyone in this room ever had children? And there's a lot of adults in here, I would assume you have. Have you ever had to tell your child, I want Johnny, I want you to sit in that seat. And Johnny kind of starts to stand up, hey, 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 sit in the seat. And he starts to fudge a little bit, you know, hey, look at me. You get out of the seat, daddy's going to take his belt off. Do you want that? Johnny says, no, I want you to obey me. Now sit in that seat. Do you have the skill to enforce your authority on little Johnny and make him sit in the seat? In other words, make him mind? And everyone in here is shaking their head. If you have the authority to make him mind, then you have the authority to make the devil mind. See, it's all a skill. We just don't realize that the way that we relate to things of this life is the exact same emotion and feeling and way you relate to things of the other life. I'll throw this out while I'm at it, even though it's not a part of my sermon today. And that is, isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't use Scripture on the people? Hmm. Who did he use Scripture on? The devil and the Pharisees. Two groups of people that were twisting the Scripture for their own gain. And he put them in their place by saying, no, it is written right here and this is the way it is. And then they'd have to own up. And to the devil, it was in the wilderness, and Jesus popped them, boom, boom, and then he laid them out, and the devil realized, okay, I need to leave right now. And Jesus turned around, once being filled with the Spirit, he turns around in the power. Come on with me. And he walked out in the power of the Spirit. Yes, what does that mean? It means, okay, let's get it on. I'm ready now to release this power. Amen. So what did Jesus do with the people? He related to where they had connections. So he talked to the farmer about what? Seeds. Does the farmer get it? Yes. What does he know? If you plant that and water that, it's going to grow. Do I have to worry about it and fuss about it at nighttime? No, I get to actually sleep in rest knowing that the seed is working on its own. So Jesus said, in the same way, so is the kingdom of God. And he goes, I got that. To Mary and Martha, he talked about what? He talked about cooking. Is it really that important to be so busy with the care of these things called food when Mary's doing the best part? What was he trying to get across to Martha? You have your focus in the wrong place. Well, Martha could argue and say, well, then we're not going to eat. If that's what you want me to do, sit at your feet, then you can just go hungry. And Jesus said, it won't work like that, Martha. She says, well, who's going to cook? That's where your mind isn't yet elevated to see things of my father. 
don't you realize that the neighbor is making too much right now for some people that aren't going to show up? You could have been enjoying what Mary's enjoying, and they'll knock on the door in about, oh, 10 minutes. Can you count to 10 in German? <laughs> and there it is, a knock on the door. Hey, we had so much to eat. Can you guys have a little extra? See, Martha? He'll take care of you if you put first things first. And she goes, I get it. Hey, man, do you see what he did? He talked about fish to fishermen. He talked about what? A sailing? No, he talked about fish. Huh? You see, he meets you where you're connected. Because the same way you have a sense of superiority about anything in this life, those are the same feelings and the same emotions that you bring to Jesus, and that's how you walk in the Spirit. Is this helping anybody? You know, he's got a guy by the name of Abram, and he's going to try to, you know, have his seed be the father of many nations and all that kind of thing, you know? And Abraham's got a bunch of questions, which means as long as he's got questions, those questions are in the way of what? Those questions are in the way of him believing. How do I know that I'm going to have a child? He says, go out, look at the stars, and see if you can number them. How long did it take for Abram to believe? Well, he used to be a moon worshiper. What do you see when you worship the moon? Oh, the stars. Do you think he'd ever seen them before? Yes. How long did it take him to go out and go, oh, okay, I get it. Why? Because he was already connected to that. You know, you think about a father, and you think about love, and then you have to put two and two together, and you think, my child right now only knows addition. So I'm going to give him a calculus problem and let him know that if you can solve this, I'll, I'll bless you. Well, that's not love. Amen. And even when the child gets calculus underneath their, their wing, so to speak, you know, they're really good at calculus, the father will still give you addition. Why? Because he just wants it so simple that you won't miss the fact of being able to experience him because to experience him and know him is to forever love him and want more. There is a real addiction, you know, and it's not to the things of this life. The real addiction is you find him, you touch him, you enjoy him, and you want more. You become addicted to God. All right, that was all free. Let's just change over here to our subject now. And it says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. So we're going to see a perspective here that might not be what you think. Why would you say that to me? Because it's not what I would normally think either. When God says over in Isaiah chapter 55 that my thoughts are above your thoughts, my ways above your ways, he's not saying nah, 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 nah. What he's saying is, is I want you to just come up and think how I think. Don't try to manufacture it yourself. Wow, how's that neck doing? How's that? Hey Amen. It's real warm, isn't it? Hey Amen. Somebody's in that neck called the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Before the service is over, you're going to turn your head around 360, just like an owl. <laughs> Amen. And it goes on to say, the, oh, your old life is dead. That's one of the most important things you could ever learn from our time here this weekend. Your old life is dead. Do you know, do you know there's two different places, and they're both very, very different. There's a place called a hospital that you can go where they're trying to actually keep you alive. And guess what else is in the hospital? All kinds of sickness and disease. You can get something else when you actually go with, with you know, your problem. You can get something else by being in that hospital. But you can go to another place where everybody's dead, and you don't have to worry about getting anything. That's to a cemetery. You don't have to worry about getting cancer at a cemetery. Why? Because the cancer is just um, a parasite. Every sickness and disease needs your life in order to live. And when you realize your old life is dead, then how can a cancer get on a dead man? Hallelujah. Ha -ha hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's over in Romans chapter 6 where it says, you know, that your life is dead, so you're free from sin. One translation said, to be a dead man means that you're immune to all sickness and disease and sin. <laughs> that's so good. And he goes on to say, your new life, which is your real life. Remember we said last night, when you come in contact with the real you, the real you 
has no problem coming in contact with the real him. Amen. The greatest majority of the body of Christ does not know that they are a real you. They do not know that they are a spirit. And even if they've heard it, they've never taken time to get quiet enough to actually hear what's going on inside your heart, the real you. I've just described to you why the day we're living in is filled with distractions and why you want to be praying in other tongues. Because when you pray in other tongues, you bypass the mind where all the distractions are. It's actually a physical miracle that comes to your tongue. And if you can get spiritual substance out of your spirit, go directly to your tongue, then you can get spiritual substance out of your spirit and go to your spleen, go to your liver, go to your kidney, go to your heart, go to your lungs, go to your feet, go to your nerve endings and the neuropathy leaves. And one of the ways you can do that is And all of a sudden, you're connected to God. You say, well, I don't know what I'm saying. You don't have to know, but at the same time, you can get good enough at this, whereas you begin to pray in other tongues, all of a sudden, words will come out of your mouth, and you'll begin to interpret the things that you're saying. That's why we laid hands on. Was that you that we laid hands on? On the stage? Yeah, okay. You look different up there than you do here. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things I could laugh about right now, but let's try to keep focused, okay? It says, even, even though invisible to spectators, your real life, your real life is with God in Christ. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you. Oh, I'm going to preach about that this weekend. We might even preach about it tonight. We're going to have a shout. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to move some of the chairs on the edges so that we can run real fast. Amen. The real you, the glorious you, meanwhile be content with obscurity like Christ. Okay, so let's see something from his perspective. Come real quickly to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 26. You're going to really like this, but this is going to stretch you just a little bit. And I'm going to ask you some questions. And any answer is an okay answer, even though you may not get the right one. It's okay. Now, let's just give ourselves a little background. Children of Israel, of course, are in Egyptian bondage. Moses comes along. God shares with him how to get them out. They've already taken the blood of the lamb, made a sacrifice unto God, which shows that they believe in the things that Yahweh is saying unto them. And they place that blood down the doorpost and across, across the top of the door. And the Holy Ghost went in to the room through the blood and when the death angel came by, the death angel realized there was already somebody in there. There was no vacancy. And with the glory of God that they slept in all night long, something happened to them. And we'll get that to just a minute. They came out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. And now they're trying to find some water so that they can drink because it's desert. Remember? And they come to a place... In the wilderness, and that's where we pick up in verse 22. So Moses brought Israel through the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness. Interesting, three days seems to be the three days Jesus died on the cross. You can find all kinds of, all kinds of interesting similarities there. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were, what? Bitter. Therefore they named the place Bitterness, or Merah. And the people complained, they were good at that, against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Well, doesn't it, doesn't it say something to you about the fact that they were really good complainers? Which means they weren't allowing God to be their God. It was the God of Moses that they were following. So when something would happen, they would revert right back to the flesh. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But when you're connected to the Spirit, you don't ever have to ask, what are we going to do? Praise the Lord. Why? Because you have the victory. Now, I had a real good friend years ago by the name of Buzzy Sutherland. I don't know if you ever saw Buzzy, but Buzzy was a good redneck from down in El Dorado, Arkansas. You'd have to actually go there on purpose because you wouldn't actually just find it. <laughs> Buzzy always used to say, you're listening in Yankee, and I'm talking to fatback and collard green. Hey, man, so, so we, we had an interesting relationship. But I remember he told me one time, he said, you know, when I was in ninth grade, they tried to teach me the algebra. 
I thought it was funny that he called it the algebra. He said, they tried to tell me that there were X's and Y's and they had numerical value. He said, I didn't get much of that. He said, but the final exam came around and it said X plus Y equals 49. Figure out what X and Y is. He said, I got so happy, I walked right up to the teacher, put my question back on the desk and said, what do I care what X and Y is? I got the 49. <laughs> and you know, the real truth is when you have the 49, you don't care if it's 48 plus 1, whether it's 52 minus 3. You don't care what the denominations of your difficulty are, because if you got the problem, the pro actually the answer works for every problem. So when you know the answer, you don't ask all these questions. You don't complain about things because you got an answer. And when you're confident that the answer is the answer, you'll actually use the answer. Now, it's real difficult in America especially because we have so many options. <clears throat> Years ago, do you know that the first man who was Mr. Cream and he ran into Mr. Ice and they had an amazing invention called ice cream? And when ice cream was created, it was actually vanilla. Just bland old vanilla. So if there's only one flavor, how hard is it to be fully committed to your ice cream cone? Um, I don't know which one I'm going to have. No, there's only one flavor. You would say, I'm going to have a vanilla cone. You don't have to say, I'm going to have a vanilla cone, because that's the only flavor that it is. You would say, I'd like two scoops, I'd like three scoops, I'd like one scoop, I'd like it in a cup, I'd like it on a cone. Right? And what is the it? It's the only thing behind the counter. Is it difficult to be committed? Absolutely not. Baskin Robbins came along and they added 30 flavors to the one. And they knew they were going to mess everybody up. That's the reason why before they opened the store, they came up with the idea, we better have a cup with little tiny plastic pink spoons so that we can give samples because people are not going to know what to do with 30 more flavors. And sure enough, I'd take my kids there, and my kids would just look and look and look, and finally the lady said, well, honey, would you like a sample? And they'd say, can I have a sample? Daddy, can I have a sample? I said, you can have a sample. And she'd take a little plastic spoon out, and she'd give them a sample. And then they'd take that, and they'd, hmm, what do I do with the spoon, Daddy? I said, that's actually yours. And you could see their brain working, little girls. They had three girls thinking, oh, my goodness, my toys, my, my little dolls will love this little spoon. <laughs> that's my spoon. And so they'd say, think I could have another sample? Can she have another sample? Yes, you can have as many samples as you want. Now their brain is starting to work, and they're thinking, I wonder how many of these spoons I can get. So after about four or five, I finally look at them and say, will you please choose? And then they would choose something disgusting like bubblegum. And with one lick, their tongue was blue for the rest of the night. You know what I'm saying? It had so much food coloring in there. Oh, my gosh. And they'd finally have their cone, and they'd be licking their cone, and they'd be looking at me licking my cone that I've had for about 20 minutes. Because I've already got my choice, and my oldest would look at me and say, Daddy, that yours looks really good. And I said, it is. It's very good. Can I have a lick of yours? So now even after five samples, and they got their own color, <laughs> they want another lick of another flavor, which means they're still not what? Committed. And I just shared the reason of why we don't get our prayers answered. We're letting the world bring us in to this place of non-committal compromise where no longer is our yes, our yes, and our no, our no, where we say something, where we see it like God sees it, which is absolute. God never bends and comes over to your unbelief. You have to bend and come over to his what? Faith. So this is a really interesting story here that we're looking at, and we'll do this really quickly, but... You know, they complained and said, what shall we drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them, saying, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statutes, I will put, or it's actually in the causative sense, I will permit none of the diseases upon you which I've permitted upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that heals you. That's Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah means the self-existent God who reveals himself. I love the word Jehovah because within the word it means God's going to put on a show. He's going to come from the spiritual world to the physical world and touch the physical world and bring change so even your physical eyes can see it. And how is he going to change something in this particular matter? Well, attached to Jehovah is Rapha, and Rapha means healer. So it means he's going to put on a display of healing that will cause you to realize this is a covenant now, and forevermore, I don't have to be sick. 
So I'm going to ask you a question after reading this. What did he heal? What did he heal? No, no, not everything. I'm talking about the waters of Merah in this situation from this passage. What did he heal? What? Or the bitterness was in the what? There you go. He healed the water. Well, why didn't he heal the people? Okay, go to Psalm 105, verse 37. Psalm 105, verse 37. This family of young men right here, hey, men, are doing such a good job. You're all brothers. Yep. He didn't claim any of them. The other one was like, no, hey, my brothers, I don't know who's sitting, I don't know who's sitting next to me. <laughs> Do you guys play tackle football together? No, I didn't get a, I get a good yes on that. Okay. I was having fun playing catch with them yesterday. It's good, nice family. Amen. Look at Psalm 105, verse 37. What does it say? He, meaning God, brought them, meaning the children of Israel, out, meaning out of the bondage of Egyptian slavery. And what did he bring them out with? Silver and gold. And then it says, and there were what? All kinds of sick people. No, it says none feeble among the tribes. What does that mean? They were all healthy. So what does it say about being in slavery to the Egyptians? Do you think that there were some people that had rheumatoid arthritis? Yes. Do you think there were some people that lost their sight or their hearing? Yes. Do you think there were people that had crippled hands? Yes. Do you think there were people that had all kinds of uh, possible tumors in their body? Yes. Do you think they had certain diseases? Yes. What happened to them when they put the blood on the doorpost? They invited the Holy Ghost to come in and sleep with them all night. And when they woke up, people that couldn't walk all of a sudden went, <gasps> people that had tumors all of a sudden, <gasps> people that had crooked hands all of a sudden, <gasps> straight, people that couldn't see all of a sudden are seen. Moses didn't take this, you know, this group of people that walks through the desert like this. I was in Brazil, you know, and all of a sudden at once you snapped your finger and the whole section of cripples and crutches jumped up out of their seats and started walking. Now, it looked really scary like, like one of those, um, you know, those, what are the, the mummy people? Like the walking dead, it was like this, and it was like you wanted to go, ah. But the further they walked, then the better they walked, and the whole section just jumped up. Amen. Can you imagine the stirring that was going on from household to household to household when everybody woke up that morning, they were completely healed, and then all of a sudden before they left, here come all the Egyptians, kind of one, and they said, no, 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 here, take this. And they took all the gold and all the silver. They're like, take this? Yeah, take this. Wow. Who authorized this? Pharaoh did. Wow. Okay. And they took it, and then they marched out of Egypt. Do you know why Pharaoh was so mad, and he came to get him? Because three days, he was eating on paper plates, and finally said, <laughs> where's my gold? And they said, you gave it to all the Egyptians. And he said, I would never have done that. He said, yeah, you kind of signed it right here. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know what I was thinking. See, that's the devil. Devil always plays the wrong hand. He's, he's doing it right now. He thinks that we're going to fall for this like he's actually got some power and a say-so in the earth right now and he's manipulating things. I don't care how much he manipulates. It's all going to come back on his head and the children of God are going to stand in this last day and we will be the ones, praise the Lord, being able to use the financial system for the kingdom of God and there will be so many souls taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of Christ in a heartbeat and in a second because the devil always overplays his hand. Puffing up his chest real big and I'm telling you what, he's a nothing and a nobody. He's an angel and we are the children of God. We have been raised to sit in heavenly places and he's nowhere near where we are. Tell you what, a little righteous anger wouldn't hurt a bunch of us. 
Up in Montana, that means you're probably packing, praise the Lord. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just had to, had to throw that out. Amen. <clears throat> when we came from Tulsa to Colorado, <clears throat> my concealed carry won't transfer. You know, I can't believe they don't do that. So, you know, we're in a liberal place there in Colorado. I got to go get my concealed. Amen. But we won't ask any further than that. <laughs> All right, what did he heal? The water. Why didn't he heal the people? They were already healed. I am the Lord that heals you is not about healing your body. It's about protecting you from anything that could make your body anything but healed. It's removing the elements of sickness and disease from your life until you don't have to worry about anything that's out there because the Lord will handle it while you walk healed. It's a healing of protection. Kind of like you'll drink any deadly thing and it by no means, what, hurt you? You'll walk on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and it shall not, what, hurt you? Why? Well, maybe because you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God and you'll watch pestilence come on one side and you'll watch it come on the other and no destruction will come nigh your dwelling. Why? Because he is the God that heals you, which is to protect you from any and everything there is. And then if we want to look over to the Lord Jesus Christ, can we not find that he actually did something to everything that could hurt you? Like, God doesn't leave the enemy and the vices of the enemy alive enough to actually do something to a child of God. He handles the problem and gives you the answer. Well, just for a second, just for a second, because of our time, why don't you turn in your Bibles over to Isaiah 53, and let's just look at that. Four and five. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his, what? Stripes, we, what? Are healed. How can you say you are healed? Because he took everything that would make you sick. You know, it's a very interesting thing, but when you got the football, you can score points. If you don't have it, you have to find somebody that's got it and take it away. It's always easier to have it and to maneuver yourself so that you actually keep it than it is when you don't have it, you got to actually find it. Let's move as a body of Christ away from the place of welcoming everything that Jesus already defeated into your life so that you get something that you're not supposed to have, and then you have to go before him to try to get rid of something that he already got rid of for you. It's a whole lot easier to maintain a position, I can't be sick, it's impossible, this has to be a lie, and if it's a lie, then that means I get to actually do the very thing that's opposite of what it actually looks like because it can't be true. Come on, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. What is the word truth but aletheia, which is the only Greek word I know, not, not really, but it means reality. You shall know what's real, and when you see it from God's perspective as what it really is, that's when it sets you free. That's the reason why we have, actually, I don't have the first part, which has 87 hours on it, to the What is Reality series. Well, we've got those back ordered, and they should be coming in, so our ministry can certainly handle anybody that wants to go on our website. But that's why we did that series for, for five, almost six years of Bible study. I've been doing Bible studies forever, because I found out in healing school that if you want to be good at something, you need to keep practicing. So then you, you leave, you know, for 10 years, I, I preached 550 times a year. For 10 years in a row. You know, I, I just stumbled over things. Like I wasn't that smart, but when you do it over and over again, you finally see some things and you think, wow, that's pretty good. You know, you learn things as you go. And you develop. And if you preach that much, you'll get into a flow, into a rhythm. Now, it feels like it's killing you on one hand, you know, because you meet yourself coming and going. But at the same time, it's really valuable. So even though I've been on the, in the traveling ministry, I've always had a Bible study, so I had to be responsible to something during the week 
So I never could allow myself just to kind of veg. And I had to keep my mind going, my mind sharp, and then stay in a flow of the anointing. Because the more you stay in that flow, the more good you get at it. It's like anything else in life. I mean, just ask Lucy. In the episode where she was at the chocolate factory, she was terrible. Do you, some of you remember it? Some of you that are old enough to remember? There's a belt of chocolate. She had to put them in boxes, and she got behind until she was chucking some over her shoulder. She was stiffing them in her pocket, put them in, and eating them as fast as she could because she got behind. If you could give her one more day, her and Ethel could have had a great conversation, and she could have just been doing it because her hands would just go to the right places, and she wouldn't be behind. She'd be caught right up. Why? Be muscle memory. You begin to learn things. The same thing is of the Spirit. You begin to learn the things of the Spirit. When God speaks to you one time, you put a notch in your belt and said, that's where it came from. It'll come from that place again. See, God will work with you in patterns because he wants you to get good at whatever area that you're allowing him to be the real God. Until you become proficient in so many areas, it doesn't matter if you're a minister or not, you can fulfill the Great Commission. You'll, you'll lay hands on anybody that's sick and they'll recover. You'll cast out every single devil. If there's anything deadly or harmful, it will not hurt you. Amen? And you'll speak with new tongues. And every believer can do that. Amen. All right. So he didn't heal the people because they were already healed. He removed what? The obstacle. Over Matthew 8, 16, you know where I'm going with this. It's the same thing from Isaiah. And it says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. What gives him the right to heal all the sick? He already removed the sickness. See, Jesus never seemed to look at people as though they actually had the problem. He always seemed to look at them in the midst of them seemingly to have the problem as though they had an answer. He'd look at lepers that had all kinds of problems and say, go show yourself the priest. And it says they were healed as they went. He looked at a man with a hand that didn't work, and he said, stretch out your hand. He didn't say, give me what doesn't work. He said, actually, stretch out the hand. And you say, well, how can I do that? When you're in the presence of somebody who has the 49, you don't look at the problem. The X and the Y means nothing when you have the 49. You actually speak right to the individual. You can actually move your hand now. Oh, why can I move my hand now? Oh, well, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Well, what does that mean? That means the presence from the other world always helps you to actually experience life as it is in the other world. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's the reason why I told the disciples to pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when the anointing is around you, what goes on up there all of a sudden is seen for what it is down here. So that means right now you can stretch your hand out. Really? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, my God, he healed the sick. Well, see, they were already healed because he removed every obstacle. That's what Jehovah Rapha means. I remove every obstacle so you don't ever have to pay attention to it. Maybe if we don't give our attention to it, maybe they would actually leave. There was a young lad that actually liked my daughter, and so I didn't like him. <laughs> hey, man, I thought that was the way it was supposed to work. A anyhow, actually, they are together now, and they'll probably end up getting married. We do like him. But I worked with him, and, and he had three knots on his shoulder, three little tumors on his shoulder. His parents were extremely worried. And I looked at him, and I helped him to realize that he actually had experienced God because he was playing the card like, I've just never experienced him. I just don't know Jesus. You know, and he's still playing that card today, and I need to keep on helping him, okay, because he's a brilliant guy, and some, some of his smarts is kind of in the way of being so simple you just experience God, you know. And anyhow... I looked at him and I said, if you'll forget about them, they'll forget about you. I said, I can do that. And I said, I know you can. Three weeks later, in one of my meetings, he just put his hand up. Now, he would never do that. He's more of the shy type, very respectful. He would never do that. So I looked at him, kind of surprised, said, um, yes. And he said, they're gone. And he had his hand on his shoulder. I said, what's gone? And all of a sudden, I had to kind of clear my head from what I was preaching. And I said, oh, they're gone. I said, is this the first that you've checked? He said, yeah, you told me to forget about them. I said, I did. He said, well, I worked out real hard on my shoulders yesterday. And he said, I was so sore, I put my hand back there to rub my shoulder. And all of a sudden, I realized they're gone. I said, isn't that awesome? 
Yeah, why? Because in the mind of God, they were already gone. When he began to think like God, all of a sudden, what power did it have for those things that are defeated to stay on somebody that's victorious? Come on, you think about it that way. A cancer is defeated. How can it live on somebody that's got the life of God in you? Ah, now I'm starting to see it. Are you starting to see it? Amen. So look what it says. Himself took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses. That's exactly what Isaiah said would happen to the Christ. Now, I'm over in one more scripture here. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. <coughs> Psalm 103, 1 through 5. And then we'll give you a couple more scriptures and we'll be done by noon. Because the Baptists already always get out by noon. Of course, this is a Saturday, so we won't have to worry about that. Oh, I'm not knocking the Baptist. I was Baptist for 23 years. Amen. It took me 23 years to figure out how to have revival in my Baptist church. Amen. We were so loving and so, you know, friendly in the foyer. We'd laugh. We'd hug one another's neck. Just amazing people. Still love them to this day. But when we walked through the sanctuary, it was like a bucket of cold ice came down your back. You got real stiff. And you sat in your seat. And anybody's mama could twick your ear. I mean, if you were doing something, somebody would go, and you go, ow, you turn around, it wasn't even your mama. <laughs> hey, hey, man, we were so afraid to lift our hands and worship because we didn't know if the preacher would look at us and say, what, what's your question? Hey, Amen. So, you know, you'd have, you'd have hands real low if you were going to worship. <laughs> but 23 years later, I figured out, oh, my goodness, we could have had revival if we had church in the foyer. Because, see, when you're allowed and you allow your emotions and your feelings to hook up with your heart, that's when you can experience Jesus. Because in my denomination, when we grew up, you could move a muscle. I mean, my grandfather got so mad at me when I sang a song, sail on when the water gets high, sail on. And I'm singing the song, and we're worshiping, you know, and he said he moved his hips to my mother. Moved his hips. <laughs> I didn't know how to move my hips. If they moved, they moved all on their own. But he was mad because I was of the flesh. I was moving my hips. You can't have emotion. You can't have feelings. That's of the devil. No, 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 no. Emotions and feelings are a part of your faith. You see something, woo, you get excited about it. Amen. And if you allow yourself to get excited, the Holy Ghost will come on you. I saw this guy over in Austria. He was bent over like this. I laid hands on him. He straightened up. His eyes got real big, and he just looked at me. And I finally threw the interpreter. I said, are you happy? He goes like this. <laughs> Did you get healed? He goes. I said, is that all the excitement that you can show me? He goes. I said, well, double it, amen, and come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, some people just aren't used to showing any emotion. Emotion is not a bad thing. Just because some people get too emotional doesn't mean you shouldn't have some. Come on, every one of you looking at me right now, you've got fire in some area. There's some area in your life that just turns your, your knob and, and, and flips your switch. I mean, I'm, I'm at home, you know, and this is some of the earlier days, and, and you know, Aaron, and Aaron would take sometimes an afternoon nap because she's working with three, three little girls at home and everything, you know, and so all of a sudden, one day, she looks at me and she goes, you know, I am so worn out right now. I could just really use it. And Aaron loves her sleep. Amen. I mean, all through raising kids, I'm doing 550 sermons a year. You know, Aaron would fall asleep and she'd be in a coma. <laughs> she wouldn't hear anything and she'd wake up and say, oh, I'm so refreshed. How was it last night? And I said, changed three poopy diapers. Thank you very much. Oh, really? I didn't hear anything. I know you didn't hear anything. <laughs> So she loves her sleep. So she looked at me and said, can we have dinner a little bit later tonight? She said, I'll, I'll work out a little bit, but I could just really use a nap. And so all of a sudden she laid down and she actually looked at me like this over the couch and then she put her head on the pillow like, I just love this time. And the phone rang and it was a friend and I answered it. And she said, who is it? I said, it's Jamie. Okay, okay, I'll take it. So I took the phone over to her and all of a sudden I heard her voice go, really? When? Right now? Okay, I'll be there. And all of a sudden there's excitement. It was like there was energy. And she sat up and she said, um, hey, uh, I'm going to go with Jamie for just a little bit. I said, where are you going? She goes, well, there's a sale at the mall. <laughs> See, she's got shopping fire. <laughs> See, in the middle of, she's so, so tired. I was like, energy. <laughs> See, everybody responds to something that energizes you. What would happen if it actually was Jesus? 
Do you think you'd get prayers answered? Oh, you wouldn't even have to pray them. They would be answered by just your thoughts. I'm starting to experience that right now. And it's the coolest thing to have a thought and then freaky to see the answer. And you think, I just thought of that. Because sometimes your thoughts aren't things that you're dwelling on. It just comes to you. And then you see an answer and think, oh my goodness. It's like I didn't think on that. I didn't dwell on that. I didn't kind of inwardly pray that. I just had a thought and it happened. Wow. Could that be Christianity? <laughs> yes. Amen. Real, real, real quickly here, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. How many iniquities did he forgive? All of them. Past, present, and what? Future. Someone says, well, I don't believe that God forgives your future sins. Listen, Jack, he did this like 2,000 years ago, which means every sin was a future sin. Duh. And it says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. How many is all? It's all. Praise the Lord, it is. So now, real quick as we end, Genesis chapter 30. In fact, I won't even make read, read that, but you can mark it down where to find it. Genesis 30, 37 to 41. I won't read it. I'll just talk it, share the story. How come there's so much sickness in the earth? How come it seems to even uh, be growing if he healed them all? If he, the Lord that heals you, removed the obstacles that could make you sick, why are we getting sick? Well, I'll put it to you like this. To be made in the image and likeness of God is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. It would be the same as saying, you know, during buck season, I got my rifle in my hand, and that's a very good thing because the family needs to have some food to live, and it's good that I have a rifle in my hand because I'm about 20 paces away, and we're going to have a good Thanksgiving. 250 pounds of meat for the wintertime. And you look at that rifle and say, that's a good thing. But put that in the hands of a four-year-old, point it at the two-year-old, that's not a good thing. So in other words, wherever you point your direction you will produce results. I had this big strapping man. He ended up dying. Didn't listen to me. But they were friends. Big guy. And he just looked at me one day and he said, you know, I wish this faith stuff wasn't so hard. I said, so hard? I said, you got more faith than anybody I know. And he goes, what? Because he was having real difficult times. I said, you have more faith than anyone I know. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know anyone that can break his arm, go to the hospital, on the way home, driving with one arm, run into the back of a truck. You've got more faith than anyone I know. You manifest more trouble than anyone I've ever met. And he says, what are you trying to say? I said, it's real easy, Jack. You can put a car in forward or put it in reverse. It still moves. You've been driving in reverse for so long, you've manifested all kinds of evil. If you just stick your car in drive, you'd have the power of God to set you free. It works on both ends. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. He didn't say it was just all good things are possible to him that believes. You can believe something that's negative and have it just as much as you believe it to have it positive. In our passage I had you to turn to, <coughs> this is the story of Jacob. And Laban, Laban pulled the wool over Jacob's eyes. He thought he was getting, you know, uh, what's her name, uh, Rachel, and he ended up getting her sister. Huh? Man, I'd have peeked behind that veil before I said I do. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, he, he worked another seven years for Rachel. So he comes to Laban one day, and Laban thinks he's stupid. And he says, you know, Laban, you know, we all know that the clear-coated sheep and goats are the most high-praised and get the most money than the speckled and spotted sheep. Now, I've worked for you for 14 years, and I have nothing. Would you allow me to take the spotted and speckled sheep as my own? And Laban thinks, this boy is so stupid. He said, it's a deal. Now Laban... Excuse me, Jacob, I don't know where he got the idea. Think about the fact that he actually thought of this. You would never think of this. How could you think of this? He comes up with the idea, when the animals are in heat, 
I'm going to bring down all the strong, clear-coated uh, 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 sheep and goats down to the water trough, and in that trough, I'm going to peel back poplar branches and make the trough filled with them so that when they see their own reflection, they'll see spots. And didn't he produce a strong flock of spotted and speckled sheep, and it didn't take long until the tables turned that the weak ones were the ones with the clear coats. Well, without getting too graphic here, because there are children here, you know, think about the emotions that were involved with the acts that were taking place at the trough. So see, when you get excited about being who you are in Christ... You connect to what? To something that may seem impossible. But the same thing is true to the evil side. So the reason why we have so much sickness and, and disease in the earth is because so many people believe in it. They come to the trough and they see themselves spotted and, and speckled with sickness, disease, and cancer. My mama had it. I believe I'll have it. It runs in my family. Oh, no, there's a plague in the, in the town. I wonder if I'll get it. I better, I better do this and I better do that to make sure that I don't get something that Jesus already removed and gave you a covenant, signed his name in blood, that he is the Lord that will remove everything from your past so that you can walk free, free from sickness and disease. Are you seeing this? We're creating the reality of the world, and the media is helping us by just magnifying it so much so, and that's what they're doing today. If you don't believe that we are under propaganda, you've got your head in the sand, folks. You've got to raise your head up. It's not about a political party. I'm just telling you how it is. We would think nothing of the fact that a communist country is filled with propaganda. Well, we, in our news media, are as much a communist country as Russia, as North Korea, or as China. We're being fed a bunch of lies and they're acting like we're stupid. Past administrations have said the very thing. The people are dumb. Oh really? Go watch Bugs Life. Rent it this afternoon. It's time for the ants to arise. Get our heads out of the sands. We've been believing things for years. Oh, my goodness. Think about it. Every October. Now, back in my day, if you wore pink, you get the tar beat out of you. I'm talking about as a man. Men didn't wear pink. That was a girl's color. But now even all the professional athletes in the month of October wear pink. To do what? To honor those who have had breast cancer, which all it does is bring a greater awareness... And the more people are aware, the more they believe, the greater fear there is that someone might have it, and the more breast cancer we have. If we would all wear crimson red 12 months out of the year and magnify the blood of Jesus, every sickness would disappear and the hospitals would close down. Why? He is Jehovah Rapha, and he never changes. The Lord that removed all sickness and disease from your midst so that you could walk healed and healthy and whole. I'll tell you something you can't do. You cannot convince Jesus that you are sick. He will take his shirt up or his robe or whatever he wears. You know, He'll take that shirt up and let you see the stripes on his back, and there is one with your name on it for the very thing you think you have. And he will show you he took your infirmity. He bore your sickness. And with his stripes, you are healed. Hallelujah. What a wonderful morning we've had. Amen. The clock has run out, so praise the Lord. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> We're going to have a barn burner tonight. Amen. We're going to have a running, shouting time tonight. Now, in closing... Some of you need to go to the trough and see that you are a reflection of a resurrected, glorified, healthy, and whole Jesus Christ. All of your addictions were taken to the cross, and he came out of the grave so full of peace that you never again would even want to yield to anything but the wonderful, precious peace of Christ. Begin to use your imagination instead of to create negative realities, use it to allow God to manifest himself.
Because remember, Jehovah Rapha isn't just about he did something. It has the idea in there that he wants to continually put on a demonstration and show in your life that he has actually removed the very thing that the doctors say is there. They said MS is there. But this morning, you came in contact with the presence of Jesus. And MS no longer has a grip. Every symptom is gone. Amen. And the strength of God is yours. And the doctors will even confirm that you were once MS, but it seems to have left. Amen. Last night we talked about what? It's not my time. What happened when they tried to kill Jesus? One after the other tried to actually go and take him, but they get ready to take him, and then they just stop. The Pharisees even mocked him and said, what, are you one of his disciples now? I thought you were going to get him. Well, no, we didn't get him. What happened at the end of them trying so hard to get Jesus? It said they just all went home. I'm telling you what, MS just went home. Praise the Lord. Cancer just went home. Amen. The blind eye just went home. Praise the Lord. The deaf ears went home. The dumb speak. Why? Because that went home. All sickness and all disease is covered in Jehovah Rapha. Say his name. Jehovah Rapha is my healer. My forever protector. He is my Lord. What he did, I receive today as completely done. It's done. It's finished. He's working. He never stops working. Amen. Now one thing I'll throw in about that song, I just want to clarify because it's fine to sing it. But you know, people always get real happy about the part even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. you got to be real careful about that. Because what you'll do is, is you'll condition yourself to actually not feel it and not see it. Because everything about him is to see it and feel it. If you get too happy about not seeing it, but I know he's working, praise the Lord, then you'll go on your way and 20 years later you'll say, I know he's working. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. Now you'd actually correct someone if they said, I'm going to California, haven't made it yet. How long have you been going? 20 years. Right? You correct them. But I know I'm working. Remember, it's always easier to believe a negative than it is a positive. You say, how come? Because we're surrounded by it. Once you begin to break through, you'll find out it's way easier to believe the positive than it is a negative. So when you sing that part, you just know, thank God I'm seeing it. Thank God I'm seeing it. Thank God I'm feeling it right now. Why? Because he never stops working. Never stops working. He never stops working. Why? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are. Amen. Keep it right there. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.